Welcome to a Frugal Athlete Podcast, where we interview athletes, both current and former, on the prudent financial practices and smart career decisions they are making. In these episodes, we dive into what it means to be a frugal athlete. You might think that frugal just means being cheap, but as you will soon learn, being frugal is more complex than that. I'm your host, Amobi Okugo. In this episode, we got a very special guest. It's all about the power of networking. I had the chance to connect with him. And, you know, since then, we've had, I don't know, four or five conversations. Every time, you know, I get to speak with this gentleman, I learn something new. So who is this gentleman? David Thomas. David Thomas joined Aon Private Risk Management as a consultant back in November 2019 after eight years at Cornerstone Management, which is a boutique athlete representation agency. Um, They primarily work with hockey players across North America. So he's able to give us both sides of the take. So I'm excited for you guys to learn all about what he's doing, all about how he can help athletes and, you know, just kind of change your overall uh, mindset when it comes to protecting yourself and, you know, living a life well spent. Shout out to our partner, Obsidian, by Magma Capital Funds for making this podcast possible. They are a quantitative hedge fund built exclusively for current and former professional athletes. Obsidian works hard to change the investing game for athletes by utilizing machine learning and AI that adapts to the ever-changing financial market. They strive to perform well in all environments just like you. Thanks again, and shout out to our partner, Obsidian, by Magma Capital Funds. So, David, how are you doing today? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Moby. I appreciate it. It's uh, been great to get to know you a bit. And uh, likewise, it's it's always interesting to hear other people's stories. And um, I love the education part of this. So anything I can do to provide some insight and help people understand uh, their insurance, which is often uh, something that that's people find pretty opaque and, and frustrating and confusing. Um, I love the opportunity. So thank you. No, thank you. And, you know, we've got the chance to talk about insurance and I know we're going to get into it later because I feel like insurance is like a never ending loophole, but you've also worked in the agency side. Talk about, you know, your journey up to where you are now. Yeah. So I I played at Colgate and I played hockey at Colgate, Um, spent a year in Europe afterwards. And that was really just an abroad experience. Um, I knew my life was going to take me elsewhere. I wasn't going to play hockey for a living. But um, I actually headed down the, the path to a legal career, spent a semester at Georgetown Law, ended up leaving and, and found my way back to hockey and uh, spent uh, eight years with uh, Steve Mountain at Cornerstone Management, uh, recruiting and managing hockey players. And that was, you know, a fascinating, you know, fun childhood dream type experience. Uh, it's not all glitz and glamour. It's a lot more, you know, when you're building something like that, it's a lot more long hours in a rink and, freezing in Blaine, Minnesota and Port Huron, Michigan and uh, driving across, you know, parts unknown Midwest and whatever. But yeah, it was a great experience. I, I learned a ton, you know, about, about all, a lot of different, different aspects of sports and business and myself. And that was, a, you know, it was just a, a very formative and, and valuable experience. And um, I got out of the agent business at the end of 2018 and I really didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, and stumbled into this opportunity through a, a Colgate um, connection. The uh, president of Aon, Eric Anderson, is a, is a football alum, class of 87. And I had a, a pretty high-level introduction to him. He put me in touch with somebody in Philly. Uh, that gentleman was in commercial real estate or commercial insurance, rather, and said, I don't know about commercial, but I think you could be a good fit in private risk and um, connected with my boss, our, group, our group's uh, chief growth officer, uh, in the summer of 19. And 
Um, it ultimately brought me on as a consultant because there was a hiring freeze in place and uh, some other complications. I'm still in that capacity. So I, I've been working with that group uh, as a consultant uh, for a little over a year now. Oh, that's amazing. And I want to touch on, you know, the power of networking. You know, you mentioned you went to Colgate, you know, you finished your career, you're in the working space, you happen to get back into your Rolodex of Colgate, you know, connections, which led you to another connection, which led you to ultimately what you're doing now. We've been able to connect through networking as well. Um, as athletes, talk about how important networking is and like some tricks of the trade that you use to help you get in front of so many different people. Yeah, no, great question. And I love this part of it. I, I do a lot with um, students of the, the two schools. Um, I went to a couple schools, but uh, the boarding school I went to, Deerfield Academy and um, Colgate University. And I understood the, I think intellectually, I understood the value of those networks. Um, and I used them at a couple different points over the course of my career. But this career transition has really you know, brought that point home for me. Like it's incredible the people that will take the time and, you know, top executives at some of the top private equity firms and commercial real like people that otherwise wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't return an email, get back to you. So that kind of connectivity, you know, and it's something I've done some stuff helping friends, helping you know current students that are transitioning. There's actually, there's a, there's an alum at uh, one of those, uh, it's from one of those institutions who's applying for a job at Aon. And I said, hey, let's do X, Y, Z, draft an email to send to so-and-so. And, you know, let me read it and let me, you know, let me help shepherd the application through that process. And I, like I said, I understood it intellectually and I sort of used it a little bit. But this career transition, those networks are, you know, that you come from are so powerful. And I've even talked to one of my, my former teammates who's transitioning into the real world after 10 years in um, a playing career. And I've said to him, you know, at times in between, he was a little bit, you felt lost. And some of the stuff we, uh, we've talked about where you, you feel like, all right, I'm an athlete. How do you, you're defined as that. Well, guess what? You had coaches that have relationships and you may even have relationships with management and then with ownership, like you're connected to billionaires and that's, you know, understanding that, that you've got access to, or that you may have access to that network and how to potentially find your way into it. That's, that's huge for, I think for athletes and, and something we may touch on a little bit more further on here, but as you're building your career, just having that, you know, having that in mind as an athlete that, all right, not, not just, you know, your team, your teammates are going to do interesting things, but your coaches, they're going to, you know, the executives, they have families, they've got, you know, their networks, it's a spider web. And it's just a matter of figuring out like, what's my entry point. And, you know, you've been in an organization for X number of years and you, you know, they, they value you. How do you find the right people to plug you in with the right people? And, and you know, those people that are going to be advocates to help you transition to something else, or, or even while you're in your playing career, what do you do? to leverage your contacts to, to build out that network and to find business opportunities. Uh, exactly. I mean, you, you said it perfectly. And I, I love, cause I was going to ask you, you know, how can athletes, you know, that are transitioning, you knew beforehand, you know, how important it was, but you know, you mentioned helping and mentoring, you know, your fellow teammate about you're connected to billionaires, you're connected to corporate sponsors, you know, season ticket holders, other teammates. And it's just, how do you navigate that? How do you tap into that? And I think, uh, you know, a lot of people definitely need to heed your advice when it comes to that. 
Yeah, no, and I like I said, I mean, part of what I think is really important there, and this has come up a couple of times more recently with some of my conversations. But you know, I had some insight into this when I was in hockey. But there's such a an aversion to even thinking about what might be next for you in your career, because there's that you know, there's two sides of it. One piece is like, I don't have time to do anything else. Um, well, I guess three people, like I don't have, either I don't have time to do anything else or I don't want to go that route because I don't want management to think that I'm one foot out the door. And even for myself, like to even think about what's next, I, then I, I've got one foot out the door myself. And I just think that that's, I totally get it. I've heard management professionals discuss it and it's not necessarily from, from a, you know, sort of um, malicious or, 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 you know, trying to control an athlete perspective, or, you know, we just want to get everything out of this athlete and then chew them up and spit them out. But, you know, management's like, you're a pro, like we exactly. want a hundred percent of you a hundred percent of the time. And that's, I understand that, but at the same time, you know, you know, as, as an athlete, like your, your time's crunched, but you've got, there are times when you have downtime and yep. how do you fill that time? And yeah, you need to train, right? You need to sleep, eat, like you need to be focused on what you're doing in the moment, but that doesn't mean that you, there's zero time to do anything else. And I think it's important to figure out how to structure your, your life so that you can take advantage of some of those opportunities. No, you're exactly right. And I think, um, you know, as athletes, you know, it's that it's like the chicken or the egg, but at the same time, you know, you can't play sports forever. And uh, how do you maximize and leverage your, your time as a career? I want to take it back. Uh, first and foremost, thank you. You're probably the first hockey uh, consultant, you know, someone involved in hockey to get on our podcast. Talk about hockey from the player perspective. You know, those guys are going pro at a very young age. You know, they're prodigies, you know, from the time they're 12, 13 years old. Talk about the mindset that you have to have and kind of the um, – how can I say the lessons that you teach them, you know, when you're in that space? Yeah. Hockey is a unique beast because major juniors in Canada gives sort of the, you know, it gives all players the opportunity to become a pro at basically 16 years old and, you know, forego your, your college eligibility. And that used to be, if you were a player, that's where you went, you went major, you know, and that was sort of, you know, college was not really an option. The, the landscape has really shifted in the last 10 to 15 years and college hockey has really become a, a feeder for, for the National Hockey League. And that's, that's shifted a lot of things. And I think in a lot of good ways, we, you know, we still you know, sort of our, this is always, you know, oversimplified, but look, if you're a future first round draft pick uh, for first or second round, high round pick, like, you really need to consider potentially going major junior and, and foregoing your college eligibility. If that's not true and, or if you're a really good student, you know, college is a great option. And some of the stuff, uh, again, something that, that we've discussed a little bit in a, in a different forum was how do you set yourself up for the rest of your life? And what do you do that, that makes sense? I was thinking about it in relationship to a conversation we had last night about college, college athletes and, and do you stay in college and, 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 can get to your you know, junior year or, you know, in hockey, that was a, a common, can you get to your sophomore, hopefully to your junior year, then you've got a much greater chance of, of finishing your education. Like how do you balance that with in basketball or football where there's an opportunity to jump and make a lot of money right away. But even though you have that opportunity, how do you set yourself up for the rest of your life? Whether, whether that's, you know, it's 
again, something that we talked about last night, you know, colleges offer you know, certain institutions, you can go back. No matter, they offer you a scholarship, you can go back 10 years later and finish your education. Is that, you know, how likely is that? Those things become <laughs> a little bit more complicated. But, you know, I think that, um, so just to try to get back on track here, because I, I tend to get off on tangents, um, with really high-end players, those, you know, making those decisions, you can run into that really, really young. And yeah. we were always conservative on that front. It, the, the chances of making a living and, and, and setting yourself up for the rest of your life, no matter how good you are, are pretty slim. And to know that you're the next thing at 16 years old, that's pretty tough. So, you know, from a management perspective, that was always, you know, in, in the back of our mind. And I, I respected the, the, the gentleman I worked for, for for as many years as I did, in part because he came at it from the right place. He cared about how do I set up a player up for the rest of his life? And if that's not even in hockey, then, you know, how do we make sure that we've protected that asset in the long run? No, that's a great uh, segue because obviously, you know, you talk about how do we protect it from the long run. You're in insurance now. Um, you're working with high-level athletes in the hockey space. Um, with where you work, you know, at a boutique agency, you guys kind of did everything full service. Um, talk about, you know, what would you recommend for a young athlete, whether it's hockey or any other sport, you know, from a business financial perspective? Obviously, disclaimer, um, this is not any financial advice. Consult with your team. But from the standpoint of like changing the behavior around, you know, finances and, you know, budgeting and saving, what, what would that look like uh, from your line? Well, I'll tackle it sort of generally first. I, I think the big thing is to understand what that what your earnings potential looks like in the short run and what that might look like for you. You know, how much are you likely to make over the course of a career? And as you're starting out in a career, I was just reading something earlier today about a, a football player. who got his first check and spent it all in, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. See like that's because uh, yeah. you think it's coming, you know, the next one's coming and the next one's coming, but, and this is something um, that I wanted to get into a little bit as well for second, your first second contract and, and figuring those things out, those decisions you make early on, uh, uh, it, it, they really either set you up to succeed or fail, right? Like, yep. how do you how do you make decisions that are responding? And look, you, you've worked hard. You deserve to spend some of that money. And you may have things that you need to do from a family perspective or something else. But I, I think probably the biggest thing is how do you set put in place a plan that will help you control spending, put money into things that are going to generate wealth in the long run, and um, you come up with something that's that's a strategy, not just you're hoping you're going to keep making money for the rest of your life. Like that's that's probably the most uh, you know fundamental thing. Have a strategy. Work. Get people around you that really know what they're doing. And, and this can be tricky, but how do you you know? There's a hockey player that just recently filed for bankruptcy who works for you know works with one of the biggest agencies in hockey. And there's always that question like, how did this happen? Who let this happen? You know, at the end of the day, somebody said last night when you and I were in clubhouse chatting, you know, you can't take the credit card away from the player. Like the, right. it comes down to the player at the end of the day. But again, I think having the right professionals in a management team goes a long way in, in you know, but even go, go back to the agency thing, working with really young athletes, it's building that relationship so that when that check comes to be able to say to them, like, no, you're not doing X. And then to say, okay, I know this person cares about me. Like they're not just trying to, you know, jam me up and not let me spend my money. It's like, 
you, you've got the right people in your circle that are willing, that you're willing to listen to and that are willing to give it to you straight. I mean, that's something else. And this will tie a little bit back into what we do. Um, it's not, you know, for us, it's really about protecting people. And that, you know, to do that, you have to be able to lay it on the line and be honest with somebody and say, listen, you can do X or you, and you can't do Y. Or, you know, if you do X or Y, what are the implications of that? Like that's, you know, those can be tough conversations. But when you've got the right people, those are the people that are going to be willing to have those conversations with you. No, that's what it's all about. Um, as Mike Tyson said it best, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And uh, for context, you know, uh, myself and David, we were speaking on Clubhouse last night. Um, the time of this recording is February 9th. Um, I'm on Clubhouse. I do a weekly um, room, um, Athletes and Money, Money and Athletes, um, where we talk about different subjects. So for context, that's what David is alluding to. Um, but this is the perfect segue to what you're doing now. You talk about protecting athletes uh, and individuals um, that you work with, you know, for the long run, you know everyone thinks of insurance as in case shit happens, but, you know, talk about it from, you know, your line of work, you know, there's so many different buckets of insurance. Every time I learn more about it, I have a million questions. So give us like insurance one-on-one and then we're going to just do a deep dive. Sure. Let's delineate a little bit just to uh, sort of hone in on the piece that I've, I've been working with and have some expertise in now um, in, in personal lines, meaning that the insurance that you, you use to protect your, your personal assets, not commercial or something else. Um, you've got you know, sort of two pieces on one side, you've got life and disability. And on the other side, you've got your home auto, personal excess liability, collections, boats, you know, et cetera, aviation. And our group, sort of can handle all, you know, both of those parts, but the focus is really on the second part, the, you know, homes, autos, collections, that slice of property and casualty. And um, I think one of the biggest things or the biggest thing um, that I, you know, that I really enjoy about this is people find insurance so opaque and frustrating, confusing, and it can be, but it doesn't need to be. And, And by giving people some basic tools to, to think about their, how to think about risk and then to, to give them, you know, show them ways that you can manage risk. And it's not just, I've said this to you before, it's not just, hey, you got to ensure everything to the max possible. That is not a risk management strategy and it's often not prudent to do so. It's about creating a program that takes into account your, your, your exposures, your risk tolerance, and you know what your overall financial picture looks like, so that's it's programmatic and it's strategic. It's not, you know, and I think people often get frustrated because like I'm paying for something that's a sunk cost. I I'm <laughs> never going to get anything out of this, and it, it's it's a tricky. To be completely honest, it's tricky from a sales perspective because it's like I, I hate paying for insurance. Like yeah. I pay for something I hope never to use. Like yeah. that's not you know, and it's not something where you know in. in in life and disability, it can be you know, life in particular, that can be an investment vehicle. So it's a little bit different because you can turn that into, um, you know, you can make money and there's tax structure. There's other stuff like our particular niches. It's a little bit trickier. It is much more of an investment um, without that upside return potential, but not having it, it can be catastrophic. And that's, you know, that's the biggest thing. You and I've talked about personal excess liability. You think we'll talk a bit more about it you know, the back end protection of your wealth, the thing that kicks in if you have a terrible car accident or somebody gets injured on your property, 
that's where you could, you know, that can be, you know, life altering financial, you know, catastrophic loss and that kind of coverage and making sure you have it is huge. And one of the nice things about personal access, I always, you know, I talk to you about this. I always say it's, it's a very reasonably inexpensive piece of coverage because the chances of you using it are very slim. Um, and that changes depending on your risk profile and with athletes, there's a whole nother, you know, it gets more complicated because of the high profile and, you know, different aspects of what that exposure looks like. But yeah, so like, you know, to sort of put a bow on it, it's, it's programmatic and it's understanding um, what the value of it is. And a lot of that, you know, falls on us to, to put scenarios in front of people in case studies and say, listen, this is why you need to do X, Y, and Z. No, that's, that's, that's really amazing. And this is why I love, you know, talking to you about this because I always leave uh, with so many questions. So like from an athlete perspective, specifically athlete, why is it so vital? Because you named off, you know, different types of insurance, life, disability, uh, property and casualty. I know, you know, people have insurance on their phones, but they don't even have insurance, you know, on situations that are more, uh, I can say more important depending on how you look at it. So from the athlete perspective, why is insurance so important? Yeah, and I, like I said, I'll leave the life and disability, uh, you know, off out of this conversation because it's something I, I touch periodically, but it's not something that, that I am licensed in and it's something I, I understand significantly less. I'll leave that to other experts. Um, the, the bottom line, and this is a, a good opportunity to sort of talk about that, that personal excess liability piece, and I'll tell you a story because I always like to. We picked up an athlete who um, had made 30 odd million dollars to date without any personal excess liability coverage. And this, this athlete's on another you know, $40 million contract. And what that means is he's operating in the world and driving a vehicle and you know, out there uh, you know, living his life with a target on his back as a, as a high profile individual for a lawsuit. And, you know, I'll give you another example. There was a, there was a professional athlete that uh, um, we discussed also who was driving a vehicle that he thought uh, he was on um, the insurance through the sponsorship um, from that dealership. And he wasn't, and there was a fender bender and they, he got sued and it was, it ultimately it was settled, but, you know, had he not, and I don't know all the details of that, what coverages he did and didn't have. It wasn't one of our guys. Um, but that's an incident where, you know, let's say that that was a, a bad accident and he didn't have personal excess liability. He sued for millions and millions of dollars. You've got a big exposure to, to the, you know, to your wealth as a result of not, not being covered appropriately. And personal excess is, is typically sort of the the one that I come to uh, most frequently because it is that big, uh, you know, I call it the back end protection of your wealth. It protects you, you know, if heaven forbid you hit a school bus and injure a whole bunch of kids or yeah. somebody at your house, you know, you got a party and somebody leaves, you know, overserved and has an accident and, and hurts people or, you know, stuff like that. That's where, you know, it, a product like that personal access liability is, is a huge, um, you know, protection, you know, piece of protection. I love that. So basically, so say an athlete, you know, driving a car, he gets in that fender bender, um, then the person who, other person ends up finding out who you are. Then it's like, ah, yeah, my neck hurts. You know, my, my shoulder hurts, uh, my wrist, like, and then they can yeah. come after you. Yeah. I mean, that's the, 
Well, there are two scenarios, right? That, that's the sort of fraudulent one, which isn't great. But still, guess what? You're, you're getting sued. And, you know, hopefully that gets settled and it's minimal and it's not that big a deal. But you, even, you know, take, take something else where you, you have a serious accident. And, they, but same idea. Like if you've got zeros behind your name, you're going to get sued for zeros, right? Yeah. Like that's just, that's often the way it works, right? So, um, that particular piece of coverage, uh, like I said, that's, that's always the place that I, I start with people because it's impactful and, and it's the sort of cornerstone of your, your personal wealth uh, risk management strategy. Okay. I, I, this, is, this is intriguing. All right. So how about in the sense of, for example, you know, athletes, they do camps, you know, they host camps and um, I know people will find, sign the liability waiver, but you have to get insurance for that as well, correct? Yeah, and this is where athletes are are, are different too. Um, you've got athletes, you know, particularly large, you know, athletes these days. You're mini corporations, right? You'll mm-hmm. have a blend of commercial and personal risk, and under you know, you've got investment properties that's not covered by. Typically, it's not going to be covered by other pieces of your personal lines coverage. So you need a piece of commercial over here. Um, when you're dealing with really high profile, you know, very successful athletes that are involved, like you said, with, you know, running their own charity events or they, they're running, you know, their, their endorsement stuff through shell companies, stuff like that. That's a whole different part of, of your, um, risk management sort of profile that you need a different, you need a totally different set of products for. And again, that's where having people, you know, Aon is incredible that way, the the depth and breadth of expertise across all sorts of different, um, dealing with athletes all the way up to some of the highest paid athletes in the world and and some of the most, um, you know, wealthy families and family offices in the world, you know, there's nothing that, that the group can't handle um, when you get the right people involved. So I feel very fortunate to be surrounded by, by, by a group that's, you know, there's 110 odd billionaires that are uh, managed uh, across the, the, the group's uh, different um, segments. So it's the capacity's pretty, pretty big. And for athletes, you know, having that kind of expertise is, is huge because you've got, you know, different, sometimes sort of rare or unique exposures, international, um, you know, there's, there are all sorts of different you know, parts of that that are pretty you know, specific to, that can be very you know, specialized rather. So Perfect. Hey, what's up? I'm a Mobi Okugo, AKA a frugal athlete. So check this out. We came out with an all new extensive brand new course. Our course, Rookie Mistakes, is a course that helps young athletes and individuals avoid the common mistakes when starting your career. I provide real-life examples, lessons, insights, all that and more to teach you how to identify the rookie mistakes before you make them. And trust me, I've made a lot. It's all about giving yourself the best foundation and head start to build financial and career stability. For more information or to get the course, check out the link in bio. So before we get into like different case studies and stuff, I want to talk, uh, I want to ask you about like the difference insurance companies. You know, when we first met, you talked about, you know, the services that Aon provides versus, you know, just like a mom and pop or, you know, the ones that we see on the commercials like Geico and State Farm. Um, Talk about from an athlete that's looking into like an insurance provider. What are some things that they need to look for? How to find the right 
um, person to work with? Um, what are some questions that you know we should ask? Um, sort of that rundown. Yeah. Um, so Aon typically uh, is, is a high net worth uh, broker. So our carrier partners are going to be Chubb, AIG, Pure, Berkeley One, Vault, um, Cincinnati. There, there are other carriers that we work with, but that particular subset of the high net worth space, they they specialize in um, you know the high net worth and ultra high net worth uh, individuals. The products are designed a little bit differently. Um, I won't get into too much with the sort of specifics of coverages, just yeah. glaze over, um, but they are different. When you've got a $10 million house or a $20 million house, there's an appropriate carrier uh, in that universe. And there are others in other segments of the, the marketplace that uh, you know, frankly don't do what you need them to do. Um, that's, you may have parts of your risk profile that it makes sense to insure with, you know, different carriers and whether that's a mid market or, or a high net worth carrier, um, those decisions, you, you know, really have to make case by case, but I'll give you one example. Just, I see it all the time and this is an athlete specific, but you'll see a house. Um, I just spoke to an executive recently who, who had a carrier and the, the value, the, you know, the, the limit on the house was X dollars. And he had just put $110,000 into his patio. And it was, you know, <laughs> he had not, you know, revisited that with oh. his, and the carrier could have been totally fine to, to, to handle this, um, but he hadn't revisited that with his, um, his broker or his, his carrier. So he had a big exposure as a, a result of not increasing limits and some of those things. So, I mean, that ties a little bit more, you know, in that instance, I would say to him, like, you need to have a better relationship with your broker and or your carrier so that as you're making these improvements, and this is a big piece of what I like about this, and, you know, something that, that I've said, um, you know, it, that sort of captures what I enjoy about this is so many people have very transactional and impersonal relationships with insurance. And part of what I, you know, do and seek to do and what our group does is take that and make it relational and consultative. So, you know, just like in the, when I was in hockey, I used to say to players, if something good or bad happens in life, I want to be on the short list of people you think to call. That was kind mm -hmm. of my, that was, that was what my, but now it's in insurance. It's like, if you're going to do something that could impact your risk management profile, you, you know, you're, you're going to buy a house or you're going to um, buy a, a boat or a, a plane or something. I would hope that they would say, you know what, I need to check with my insurance company, my broker, because need to account for what this, you know, what the, the line item is to ensure something like this or how, how I manage that, that risk. I'll give you, I, I like to tell stories. I think I've, I've told you this previously. There's a, there's a woman I know who um, is buying, looking at buying a house in Connecticut and on the water and they're you know, in the insurance markets right now, there's some really bad markets because of weather related um, considerations some climate uh change um, scenarios along the coasts and fires out in California and Colorado. There, there are some tricky markets and her house is in one of those flood zones. And, and it's a the house that they're looking at is about a $3 million um, place. And the it's, there's a little more nuance to it, but we ran some numbers and, and it came back that it could cost them $14,000 a year just for, you know, primary flood insurance for $250,000 worth of, you know, primary flood. And that's the kind of thing that uh, that could be totally fine. And, and there are different ways that you could handle that. 
Um, if you didn't have a mortgage, you wouldn't have to have that primary. You could self-insure on it, um, but they, they're planning to have a mortgage, so they're going to be required to carry that coverage. And like I said, there's, there's a little bit more nuance to it, but um, those kind of things, the fact that we had that conversation, it's on her radar to be like, oh, okay, let's figure out what this would cost as an you know, additional piece of the, you know, the, the, the purchase price or you know, the, the, I guess the investment price. No, I love that. And let's talk about the cost analysis. You know, athletes, you know, they pay for, you know, jewelry, uh, cars, boats, you know, homes, vacation homes, uh, what may have you. Um, talk about the cost analysis. You know, we offline, we talk about it. You, you told me a great case study story about an athlete that, you know, bought an engagement ring. And then you guys kind of broke down the additional cost that it would, you know, that he would have to make from an insurance standpoint. Um, actually, you kind, of, you kind of gave me player A, player B scenario and talked about how uh, the differences in um, the cost analysis and what that looks like. I thought it was a great breakdown, and I definitely know the audience would uh, would love it as well. Yeah, no, thanks for teeing that up. But, uh, yeah, they, they're, there's an individual who bought a $115,000 engagement ring, and the that's the fact my reaction was crazy but then you broke it down in terms of like it was actually peanuts you know so if you're if you're like jaw dropping trying to figure out which athlete it was first of all we're not going to tell you second of all it was peanuts compared to his overall uh salary and compensation <laughs> yeah so and that that plays into this this risk analysis and, and i'll i'll get to something that we talked about this will piggyback off this and how to think about risk and i'll get to that in a second um, but yeah, so this individual, and it's, these things are always, you know, case specific, um, or often case specific, let me say, uh, but for, for this individual, for that $115,000 ring, it was $1,500 or $1, a year to insure it on a schedule. So to have that piece of jewelry insured to, you know, to be able to replace it if it was lost or, um, you know, somehow a diamond disappeared to be able to, to you know, not have any issue and just put that ring back to, to the way it was uh, pre-loss. And that's $1,500 a year. What do you do with that? You, you're going to have that ring for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. How do you feel about that additional um, you know, cost? You're paying $15,000 every, you know, every 10 years on top of what you put into it. How do you manage that risk? What do you think, you know, do you, do you take that? Do you say, listen, and this is the other scenario. There's an individual that, that, that purchased $40,000 uh, diamond stud earrings for his, um, for his wife and his philosophy. I mean, we talked about it. He's like, I don't you know. I, I, I don't want to pay X dollars to insure it. He's like, my, my philosophy is don't lose it. You know, that, <laughs> I like that. Don't lose it. That's, that's we won't have a problem. It's going to be our risk management strategy, but this ties in nicely to something else that you and I've talked about. Um, they've got a safe. She takes them out for special occasions and puts them away. And like, now this is an individual, both of them have, have spent this, amount on on you know what are relatively small purchases for what they're um they're small purchases given what they're these individuals make and what they're worth so you know for him if they say she loses one and he's got to replace it like that's unfortunate but it's not crippling financially no. so they, those are just two different ways to 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 manage that and part of it has to do with risk tolerance part of it has to do with you know um, you know, he's got a, he's got a situation where he's like, look, we're, we're, these are not going to be everyday wear. So, you know, thinking about a ring versus very special occasion, um, earrings, like those are different, you know, that those are different calculations too. 
Um, I, like I said, I was, I was going to get to this. There's a, there's a, an athlete who lost about $500,000 worth of jewelry when two of his uh, house guests walked off with it. You know, part of the conversation uh, on our end, and this ties into you know, those earrings, do you have a safe? Do you, you know, what's your plan? What are you doing with this when you're not at the house? And look, plans fail. Like that, that happens. And that's part of what insurance is there for, obviously. But that's, you know, those are things that you can do. And this goes back to sort of a risk management strategy. What do you do to mitigate risk? How do you protect yourself from, from those losses? Uh, you know, things like safes and other things can, you know, can also help you uh, control costs. You're putting in place risk mitigation strategies are, are things that carriers will take into account. And, you know, you might be able to, uh, you know, to, to get some help on premium if you, if you handle things in uh, sort of risk uh, responsible ways. Oh, I love that. And you know, what I like about you is that, you know, usually people say, you know, you have to get insurance at all costs or you don't need insurance. You know, you gave both sides and, you know, for any athlete or any individual that's looking into insurance, it's important to know where you're at, you know, what, like you said, how risk adverse you're going to be and, you know, what makes sense from a cost analysis standpoint, obviously, you know, everyone thinks they're good until, until something happens. So you got to protect yourself and give yourself the best opportunity, you know, to keep things safe. Uh, with that being said, you know, you talked about, you know, risk and what it means. Uh, you gave a break date, uh, sorry, you gave a great breakdown of the four risk buckets, something I haven't really heard before the way you put it together. Um, so I'd love for you to share that and then kind of like dive into uh, what it all means. Yeah, so there are basically four ways to manage risk. Um, one, you can transfer it through insurance. Um, you're paying a premium and, and you get protected uh, against that potential loss. Uh, two, you can avoid it. I like to say, don't buy a boat. That eliminates that exposure. Uh, three, you can reduce it. Buy a boat, but buy every safety feature possible. This goes to the jewelry with safes and you know that's a way to, to help uh, reduce your risk. Um, or you can self-insure. And that, you know, that means that you retain that risk. The, the gentleman who, you know, his policy was don't lose the earrings. He's, he's self-insuring that, right? That he's going to say, look, if we, if we take that loss, uh, we retain that risk, meaning um, we don't have any protection for it. If, if we lose it, then, you know, we're out those dollars. But uh, I, I just had a conversation with a woman who's got, um, say, about $30 million worth of real estate in South Florida. And insuring that property is you know, enormous, like it, it's super expensive because it's where the geography is and some of the hurricane risk, et cetera. And, and she's looked at it over the years in the books and she's like, look, we're just self-insuring. They're all owned outright. So she doesn't have to have any coverages based on a mortgage um, agreement. And they've had some losses over the years, but, but she's looked at what it would cost to, to insure them for, for a year and, and what their losses over you know, 10 years and what their losses over that period has been. And for them, it just makes sense to, you know, they've got the cash flow. The losses are, are never fun, but they're able to absorb that loss. So that's, that's part of strategically what makes sense for them. Mm -hmm. that's, that's so interesting. And talk about, um, you know, you, you mentioned all these different forms of getting insurance, you know auto, um, jewelry, casualty, um, you know, even the ones that we're not even going to touch on. Like, talk about the umbrella po policy and what that entails in terms of being able to kind of put it into, um, sorry, on one umbrella, basically. Yeah. So, Wayne, just to sort of 
tie off part of that. We won't go down the list of, of sort of all of it, but you, you know, basically you've got your homeowners, you'll have your auto um, valuable articles. That's your collections mm-hmm. policy, whether there's art in that or um, jewelry, you know, things like that, that, that are put on a piece of coverage like that. Then you'll have, you know, like we've talked a little bit, you've got aviation, you've got farm and ranch, like there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you mm-hmm. know, different pieces of, of um, coverages. Uh, the umbrella, as we you know, touched on a little bit earlier, that is, this is oversimplified, uh, but it is the thing that sits on top of your home auto and protects you against your home and auto and your sort of your activities out in the world that'll protect you against personal liability. Um, so again, to you know, sort of reiterate what, what I said and use a slightly different example, but I use the school bus example. Um, you, you, you have a terrible accident your auto will have certain underlying limits. Uh, it'll pay up to X dollars and your umbrella sits on top of that and kicks in when, um, you know, if the, the law succeeds that amount. So that's, that's that one example. The other, you know, I said something about a party. That's, that's a typical example we use, you know, when people have pools or they host events, like it's, those are places, those are things that increase your, your potential for for those kinds of losses. Um, I like to say, if the plumber trips and falls at your house and sues you because he has a, you know, a breaks a breaks his neck, that's the kind of thing where an umbrella will kick in, and your homeowners will also have an underlying limit. And when that gets exhausted, it's the the umbrella that kicks in. And, and you know, we like to you know typically say it's. You know, this is a simplified. Don't take this as the, the rule, but you know by personal excess in the amount of your, your net worth, roughly. Uh, we like to say when it's uh, affordable and available. And, and I like to say when it, you know, sort of is reasonable, meaning you, you look at what the cost is versus the potential loss. And it's tricky. It's not, it's not a simple calculus to make you, it's fuzzy to, you know, to try to um, line those numbers up uh, next to each other and say, okay, it makes sense to pay X dollars to, for Y coverage. Um, and I, this is, I think I may have shared this with you as well. Um, I have tried to impress upon some of my, uh, even some of my friends, the importance of having that kind of coverage. And it is, it's often something where it's like, oh, what are the chances? There were two judgments, two of the, two of the top 100 judgments, uh, in litigation last year were $30 million, um, judgments, not, you know, not settlements. These are the cases that actually went all the way to, you know, through the court system and, and finished with the judgment. Um, it, it, there were, there were two of them were $30 million and those are just, you know, you know, standing random individuals. This was not your high profile, whatever. So those risks are out there. That's not to say you, you, you know, you, like I said, it's not to say you're worth, you know, a hundred million dollars. You got to go get a hundred million dollars worth of personal excess. But if you're worth a hundred million dollars, again, this goes back to, to the risk management. What does it make sense? You know, how much coverage does it make sense to pay for and up to what limit and, and what sort of loss would be potentially, like I said, financially catastrophic or life altering. And then you kind you know, looking at those things, you can, you can come up with something that, um, that makes sense. So again, I'll say it, uh, it's a little bit <laughs> beating the dead horse, but that fits with into a risk management strategy that, that takes into account, um, you know, what you said, tolerances and, and, um, one's, um, you know, exposures, et cetera. No, uh, that's, uh, thank you for the breakdown. 
Um, so for me, you know, a couple last questions before I let you go. First and foremost, thank you so much for the time. Um, you know, you've been on both sides, you know, you've worked as a uh, consultant and agent, you know, for the boutique side, helping young athletes and professional athletes. And then now you help them, you know, from the insurance space. What's like one piece of advice, you know, as you've, you know, kind of, you know, built your experience in business, um, in this, in this new space that you would have for, you know, a professional athlete? This is going to be kind of, uh, yeah, you know, obvious, you know, no shit, but <laughs> find in this, this goes back to all you know, the, you know, the, the youngest players I worked with. And I like to, I just talked to my, my buddy this morning. Um, he was talking, a, uh, he's coaching his, like his 10 year old son and he, the, the 10 year old, they're, they're trying to steal some players from a, 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 another local organization. And the father of one of the guys called a, a current NHL GM and asked about my, my buddy uh, who coached, who played in the American Hockey League for a decade and coached in the American Hockey League and called an, an NHL, this is his random dad of a 10 year old calling a GM of a National Hockey League team to say, hey, is this guy any good? Like, is he good enough to coach my 10 year old? Yeah. So, totally crazy. But what Joey, Joey, my buddy, what I, he and I were, were talking about, um, one of the things that, that was really interesting to, to me in the, in the agent world, uh, I always thought, you know, when I, even when I was through my playing career, I thought, oh, the, the, the kids of professional athletes make it because they're bestowed with these gifts. There, there's a piece of that. But really, they put them with the right coaches. They know, you know, skill development. They put them with the right, you know, strength and conditioning coach, nutritionist. And they know when to push and when to back off. And I say all this to say, get with experts. That's what it's about. Like find people that are really, really good at what they do. And though, you know, it's tricky. Like uh, as your own experience has shown, like you think you do your homework, like you, it it, it falls on you to do the work. Don't just, you know, and this goes back to the conversation in the clubhouse last night, which I found really, really interesting I'm talking about agencies that are full service and soup to nuts and, and the pros and cons of that. And, you know, somebody that, you know, a performer professional athlete said, I don't like that. I, I use one to vet the others. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not making any, any value uh, statement on, on how, how agencies handle those things. But I do think, you know, and you've said this and, and you've hammered this point in your own, uh, some of your other work, like, at the end of the day, it falls on you. Like you have to do your homework. You have to find out who are the people I want to surround myself with and how do I get the right person to do my taxes and the right person to handle my life and disability insurance and my, you know, the other piece of my property and casualty. Like that's, and again, not to, um, you know, diminish the responsibility of the other people in your circle that are supposed to be fiduciaries in particular, you know, your financial people, um, they, you, if you surround yourself with the right core of people, they'll help connect you with the, the sort of, you get the people further out into your, you know, sort of, the, um, you know, sort of the other t- members of a, of a financial, um, strategy team or, you know, of a, a I guess just a, a management team, general business, you know, general business oh. management, um, you know, managing a player's career and everything else. 
No, that's what it's all about. You know, find the experts. It's like someone, I love how you told the story. Someone's like cross-checking, you know, someone that with that much experience, but sometimes that's what you got to do. You know, as athletes, we're so used to, you know, surrounding ourselves with the best talent. So we got to do it in spaces off the field, you know, whether it's our finances or, you know, or, you know, property and casual brokers, you know, uh, consultants on the health side, you got to find the experts because, you know, you're an expert in your field. You, you want the same type of service. So um, thank you so much for the advice. Um, in closing, you know, we want to touch on some things, you know, you're great with the stories. You're great with the case studies. You know, recently I you know I sent you the article about a young football player that just bought a $85,000 piece of jewelry. Um, any thoughts on that? Any other case study examples that you'd like to, you know, leave or you know, share with? Yeah, I, again, and this will tie nicely into to what we just hit on with experts. Having the right people, when you make purchases like that, again, that's something that's funny. I mean, you send me that article and you read through, oh, people blowing their money, this, that. Yeah. Like, listen, that's, that might, you know, to, to that person, that might be $5. Like, you blow $5 <laughs> exactly. Starbucks, right? Like, yeah. it's, you know, the people in those, you know, high-paid professional athletes, high-paid executives, it's different. And, and that's how you make those decisions is make them intelligently, make yeah. sure I like the, the current commercials right now with the, you know, the, uh, the accountant who's got to deal with the, the, it's not even athlete. I think he's an executive who wants to buy a waterfall or something. And he's <laughs> like pulling his hair out. Like that's, it's good. You know, I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, I think, this goes back to the expertise piece of it, right? How do you handle those kind of risks? If you're going to buy something like that, make sure that it makes sense financially, that it, this is where the, uh, you know, that, that accountant comes from. Yeah. Are these things that you can really afford? Like what's reasonable? What's smart? How do you, you know, how do you build your financial life for the long run? Um, but pieces of jewelry and stuff like that, you're extravagant, you know, expensive cars early in your career or, you know, other things like that. Um, from an insurance perspective, make sure that, that, again, it's a consideration. It's not, it, there's no judgment from my end of, of you know, how you decide to, to protect something like that. Like if you decide, hey, I'm not gonna pay for insurance on this. What was it, um, was it Manny Pacquiao? Not Manny Pacquiao, who was it? Um, Conor McGregor, somebody purchased a, um, something like a, I actually have it in my notes. Uh, it was an $18 million watch. Um, it was Mayweather. It was Mayweather. Oh yeah, Mayweather. He, he has a uh, massive watch collection. He got eighteen million. One one of his pieces is eighteen million dollars. Like, you know, <laughs> what what do you do with that? Like, how do you protect that? Do you like? What's your again? This is it's strategy and it's putting in place programs that make sense for an individual. So yeah, I I, I look. God bless him. You know. Yeah. You can, you can spend now again, like, you know, this, like, does that investment and it can be an investment, right? In, to art or, or, you know, even jewelry or other, like how, how do those things um, fit with, with your financial life? And that's, that's a more involved conversation. And it's just really important, you know, tying this back to what we do, just understand it and make sure that like, if, if you have, you know, properties A, B, and C, you know, if X, Y, and Z happens, like, and you have an understanding of, of how you're protected and how you're not, and that fits with, with your, 
with your, you know, like I said, your management strategy, your risk management um, program, then good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you so much, David. Uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? You know, obviously, you know, we were able to connect uh, master networker yourself, but where can people uh, find find you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if you, can you just share the uh, link to that? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we're going to have all this in the show notes. Um, so make sure if you guys are listening to the podcast or watching the YouTube channel, uh, uh, go down in the uh, show notes and uh, make sure you connect with them via LinkedIn. Um, are you on Instagram? I know you're on Clubhouse. Any other platforms? Uh, LinkedIn is, is the easiest and the best. I've got other accounts, but that's that's a place where I'm uh, – you know, most accessible and I'll always tell you, I'll give you an email. It's uh, D Thomas R M is in Mary C is in Charlie at gmail.com. I'm up, you know, I'll always respond to email and um, yeah, people want to hit me up for a phone number. Happy to pass that out too. I don't think I'll do that in this. this <laughs> but, and this, you know, this I do. I love, I love connecting. I love networking. It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be in the insurance space. I, I know a lot of people. I've connected with a ton of people and Thanks. I like helping people. And if it, if it's, you know, that guy might know somebody that might know somebody that can be useful to me, you know, I'm willing to take those, those have those conversations and take that journey with people. No, that's what it's all about. You know, always trying to help people, always trying to be a value add. And it's, you know, kind of shown in your work, you know, uh, first as an agent consultant and then now as a consultant in the insurance space. So thank you so much once again, David. I uh, had a great time. Just some takeaways for the audience. Um, you know, we were able to, you know, get a lot out of this podcast. Um, but for me, you know, networking is key. You know, for David, he's been able to use his vast network, not only to provide opportunities for himself, but for others. Uh, insurance, uh, how can I say it? Insurance diversity. You know, when you think about insurance, it's not just life, it's not just disability, it's not just casualty. There's so many different insurance vehicles, and it's important for you to, you know, understand and, you know, work with the right people um, to understand what may be of use to you. Uh, and when it comes to working with people in the insurance space, make sure it's not transactional and make sure it's relation, uh, relationship based um, in order to, you know, have that relationship. You know, David pointed out one thing that I want to be on your short list when, you know, good and bad things happen. So making sure when you're working with someone that it's relationship based. Um, the cost analysis. Uh, I thought that was a great breakdown. Uh, not to say everyone doesn't need insurance, but when you are looking at insurance options, make sure you have a cost analysis um, sheet to, you know, find out what works for you. And then lastly, you know, find experts to be around and understand the risk buckets. I'm going to take away the risk buckets for the rest of my life. I love that breakdown. And I hope you guys did too. Uh, tune into the next episode of Frugal Athlete. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. It helps us get discovered. Once again, much appreciated. Thank you for tuning in to this podcast episode. For more information, check out the show notes and go to our website, www.afrugalathlete.com. If you enjoyed, please leave a favorable rating and review and share and subscribe. Thank you so much.